some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird get a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. It's actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock. You know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. Radio listeners, this is Gunnar Monson. I am one of your hosts here, along with my good friend Shane Corson. I am also the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company and Monster X sponsor. Go to www.squatchcoffee.com to check it out and get your Squatch Coffee today. Sasquatch Coffee, have you tried it yet? Also with us today, we've got uh, a great show lined up with uh, Cindy Dosen, who's going to talk. We're going to talk to about um, her personal encounter as well as her uh, endeavor into hair analysis, which um, I find fascinating. Um, before we get started with the show, I have a uh, Kai Wada Roth is putting on a. Uh, event in San Francisco, California, coming up in March, uh, first year for the Bigfoot Bonanza. I know that uh, uh, Cliff Barakman is among his guests, and uh guy's going to tell us a little bit about what we can expect. Oh, hi, Gunnar. How are you doing? The... I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I just, I just made it here in time. Well, great. So, can I tell us a little bit? Am I saying your name right, Kai? Yeah, it's uh, Kai Water. All right. It's, a, it's, a, it's half Japanese, half Welsh. So it's a double floating <laughs> island. So, so, Kai, tell us a little bit about uh, your event, Bigfoot Bonanza, coming up in March. Yeah, sure. So I, I host a show called the Super Shangri-La Show, and I, I show kind of rare and obscure movies uh, at this old movie theater here in San Francisco twice a month. And I show movies that, you know, when they have, like, a cult film series, they never show the movies that I want to see. And these are the movies that I show. And I, I have a huge love and always have for uh, Bigfoot. And actually, the, the Yeti is what got me into it. And uh, and so, you know, it's been forever since they've had a 
a conference, and I've never known them to ever have a, a big a film festival. And so I just pitched it to the owner. I said, hey, what what about having um, three days of old classic Bigfoot movies and documentaries and having some speakers come out? And the owner of the theater is a Bigfoot uh, fanatic as well. And he said, let's, let's do it. So I'll have uh, Cliff Barrickman and Kathy Streen and Tom Yamron will be here. And I'm flying out Seth Breedlove from Ohio and Craig Flippy to show their documentaries and it's gonna it's gonna be pretty good. I got the probably the best local brewery to be the sponsor, so it'll be uh, delicious cold suds being poured and watching Bigfoot movies for three days straight. It it sounds like a Bigfooters dream weekend. <laughs> I I think you know I've had a lot of people who've told me um, I recently just had a, a second child, and all of my friends who go to uh, different conferences they say, oh man, I was just you know, it was a butt number because it was just back-to-back speakers and stuff. And I thought, well, it would be kind of cool to have more of a social mingle. And then people could come in and out of a movie theater and talk and shoot the breeze, you know, about, I mean, whatever. They can come out and talk about the Bosberg tracks for a half hour with a beer and go back in and watch, uh, you know, an Ivan Marks movie and laugh at it, you know, or something <laughs> like that. That, that, I mean, that's a, that sounds fun to me, you know, whether they're talking over the movie or they're not. The, the theater, there's two screens in the the theater, so it's huge. So they can they can do whatever they want. It'll be fun. Yeah, it's really affordable as well. Yeah, I tried to I tried to make it as cheap as possible. So you know the theater, I, I I'm always trying to support my local historic theater. So you know whatever whatever I get half goes to the theater, and then a lot's going to go back to the speakers and and the guests. And you know I I think I'm more just having fun and breaking even than trying to make a couple bucks, which not something my wife wants but um you know for the first one i think it'll just be it'll be fun i think that's the most important thing is to have fun so again for the folks bigfoot bonanza is coming up um march is it march 10th 11th and 12th in uh, yeah march at the at the balboa theater in san francisco california and it's haunted we just got the san francisco ghost society to do an investigation and and uh, there was, we, for we thought was one ghost, and it ended up to be about three plus. So, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty deep place with some good some good uh, some good uh, spirits in there. Spirits of of the uh, bubbly <laughs> kind as well as the spiritual kind. So, go to, yeah. <laughs> if, if you can, if you can make it this March to to uh, San Francisco, uh, go to plant put the Bigfoot uh, Bonanza on your to-do list. So, Kai, thanks for joining us today, and we'll uh, yeah, talk no to problem. you again soon. Yeah, anytime. You have a good one, Gunner. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. So that sounds like an interesting uh, weekend. Yeah, yeah, definitely going to try and make it if I can, uh, if I can squeeze it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you're, you're uh, booking along trying to get your house squared away, and it sounds like uh, you might be moving up to uh, the state of Washington, a very squatchy state indeed. Very squatchy state with um, a lot going for it right now for me personally. So, yeah, I will end up being in Washington and close to uh, some of my uh, OP members, uh, which is fantastic. In fact, I'm I'm not too far away from my uh, soon-to-be house now. And, uh, yeah, anyway, it's been it's been a blast being up here the last couple of days and uh, again hiking in and and uh, hanging out with some good friends. So really looking forward to getting up here and, and hitting the ground running, uh, so to speak, when it comes uh, to uh, 
doing some more research up here and being that much closer to the Olympics, uh, you know, where I like to do a lot of, uh, you know, research and uh, work with some of the other great people, including um, our guest today, Cindy Dawson. Yeah, it's cool. And, and you're actually, uh, our, your new residence will be close to the, fairly close to the uh, OP's nesting site, isn't that correct? Uh, it's fairly close, yeah. I mean, uh, it's 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 fairly close. Uh, I'll be, put it this way, <laughs> I'll be a lot closer here than I was down in <laughs> Portland, Oregon. So, <laughs> exactly. So that's mm-hmm. exciting. I'm excited for you, and uh, it should be uh, a good time. Of course, we'll we'll be dragging you back down to uh, the Tillamook Forest when uh, we can get get you out. So. Yeah, there'll be there'll be no dragging. I'll I'll, I'll I will be spending <laughs> a lot of time down there. Uh, so. Uh, but to be the best of both worlds. That's awesome. So our guest today is Cindy Dosen. Cindy is a, a Canadian who uh, loves the the outdoors and had an encounter a, a while ago. Very fascinating encounter. And uh, she has um, since um, taken on the uh, the endeavor of uh, analy- doing hair analysis, um, she's kind of become the go-to person in uh, Bigfooting for hair analysis. Different than, than DNA, DNA analysis, but uh, uh, really fascinating what she's doing with, with uh, hairs and being able to, uh, of course, not having a, a type specimen, you know, but but getting hairs that, that are associated with uh, um, Bigfoot sightings and uh, and analyzing them, being able to look at them and 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 categorize them as something that versus uh, known animals. So um, I'm uh, uh, excited to talk to our our friend and member of fellow member of the Olympic Project, Cindy Dosen. So let's get Cindy on the line. Hello. Good afternoon, Cindy. How are you? Hi. Good. Good. Doing well. Good. Thanks for joining us today on Monster X Radio. How are things up in Canada? Um, raining and it's nine degrees Celsius, so I guess it's like fifty something. So everything's melting. Yes, <laughs> we've been going through the big meltdown here the last over the last week here too. So, um, so Cindy, um, for those I know you've you've been on on Monster X a couple times previously and and shared your encounter but for those folks that and i never get tired of hearing bigfoot encounters in georgia is is particularly interesting can can you tell folks you know your what uh about your first encounter sure my first encounter was something that i couldn't wrap my head around um it happened here on Vancouver Island, just um, actually outside of Duncan, on a, on a mountain that we call Maple Mountain. It's a hiking mountain in the local area, and it's also timbered. Um, I used to go to our farm every day, and I seen these what now we call um, X markers and stuff like that. Um, and I noticed on the way to work, back and forth, and and. Uh, I, I didn't know anything about Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Um, so when I would go online r- researching um, Bigfoot, and you, 
have these different websites come up you know like the georgia website is the one that come up because hey it had pictures and i thought well that's great i want to see the sasquatch and of course there was no pictures of sasquatch or bigfoot but they had pictures there of animals that they thought were killed or molested by um bigfoot or sasquatch activity they had shown you know the tree markers and x markers and all these other things that we now as Bigfoot people use to sort of um, identify what we find uh, a common uh, anomaly in the woods. And uh, so being someone that didn't believe this, I went in there one afternoon in April, actually April 2nd, 2007. It was like it is today. It's overcast and rainy and very dark and dreary. I, I parked my vehicle on the side of the road and walked up this deer trail and uh, I was quite fascinated at these trees that I was looking at, and I'm thinking, well, this is what they're calling X markers, and I'm looking at it, and I go, ah, the wind just blew it down, this and that. But I couldn't, you know, I took pictures of it and kind of looked at it and didn't pay much attention to it. Um, I continued on walking up this game trail. It was very well-packed, and it was kind of nice in there. It was very big trees and mossy and stuff and um, took some pictures and looked around and decided, okay, I had enough of that. And I turned around and I started walking out on the deer trail when all of a sudden these two deer um, were running straight for me on the same trail I was. They were probably 12 feet away by the time they got at me. I thought it was quite odd being a hunter that these deer are running at me and not away from me. And so I'm standing on the side of this trail, and they went flying by me with their ears pinned back like they're listening to something behind them. They didn't care about me. They were worried about what was behind them. And I thought to myself, oh, crap, I bet you it's a cougar or a bear. So I thought I better get out of here before I interrupt lunch or I am lunch. And I ran out of the woods adjacent to the trail, but quite a distance, say 20, 30 feet, and back out onto the road. And as soon as I jumped down into the ditch, I had my eyes looking down. Something across the road had been there or was coming up out of this ravine and just crested the, the encroachment of the road. And gravel shot across, and I looked up, and I thought, uh-oh, that's the bear or the cougar. And all I could see was a very large, round, black thing with a smaller, like a helmet on top of it. So that's all I seen. And this thing went back down the ravine. And I'm going, oh, man, it's a bear. And I ran up the road. All I had with me is a frickin' camera. And uh, I ran up the road. And uh, this thing down there, all of a sudden just started sounding off like oh god i don't even know um uh it just went over and over and i'm running and i'm just running up the road and there was power lines there so i ran across the power lines and i got to the other side and i could hear this thing pushing branches and 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 just making a lot of brush but this thing it this noise i know today that 
elk don't make that sound and deer don't make that sound and there was cows uh, two miles away that wasn't a cow there I didn't know what this was and I'll tell you I hid behind a tree I was so scared because I didn't know what I got myself into I thought it was a bear and she had cubs up the tree but bears don't normally do that so I went in and I hid behind the tree and this thing is still a yell scream roaring at me is what I call it because that's the only way I could identify it was like a yell scream roar all in one sentence and you could feel it it was so loud I could feel it in the chest um like like the vibration from a speaker at a concert you just feel it go right through you so I knew that this animal was large and it had a very large chest to actually produce such a vocal uh, with such uh, so much vibration. I mean, at the time, I, I certainly wasn't looking for Sasquatch or Bigfoot. I was just curious about why they call these trees their X markers. And I'm standing there with this camera. I, I wrapped it around my hand because it's the only thing I had for defense because I thought this thing was going to come after me. I'm hiding, and for three minutes... It seemed like a lifetime, but for three minutes, it it just kept up and up and up, and it stood on the other side of this power line, and which is maybe hundred feet across, so so ninety feet, and I'm too scared to even look. I just thinking, okay, Mama Bear, go away, Mama Bear, go away. That's what I kept thinking, and then it just went quiet, absolutely quiet. And I thought, oh good, she's going to get her baby. She's leaving, and. I come out from behind the tree and I step down onto the road and this thing just lit up the forest again with this same the same yell scream roar and uh it was standing behind some 10 foot brush that grows along power lines you could see this this brush moving forward and back it's got little white flowers in the springtime and leaves and you can't see anything behind it and I thought oh my god it it didn't leave bears she would have took her babies and left why didn't she leave so I jumped back behind the tree and I'm thinking oh my god what am I gonna do what am I gonna do what am I gonna do and and then it shut up it went quiet again I waited a little longer maybe five minutes in total maybe a little longer than that and and I uh I had made the wrong decision when I ran up the road. I should have ran the other way, but it would have I would have ran face into it. I had to jump down onto the road from behind this tree. I went across the road and now I had to run back the very same way I came uh because that's where my car was. And I'll tell you, I I could run back then and I could run pretty good. And I was running and this thing all of a sudden down there started breaking trees like baseball bats or two-by-fours, and I mean not not quiet, like crack. And as I'm running, this thing is, it sounds like it's two paces behind me breaking all this brush, but it's down in this, this it's like a, a sheared-off 20-foot gully, and it's got a creek that runs through it. But it's straight down. You just can't get down there. I couldn't. It would take me a while to pick my way down there, but it's in there. And it's following me. It's chasing me out. And I got to my, at the time I had a minivan, I got into that thing, and I, I, was, I was in shock. I, um, I started crying, and, and I, I just got the hell out of there. 
and I came home. My husband was here. He was getting ready for work, and it was probably by this time, uh, you know, 1 o'clock, one thirty, and uh, I come in the door, and, and I'm Snow White, and he's just looking at me. He said, are you okay? And I and I got, I just started crying, and he he just went whoa 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 it's okay and I and I said, I don't I don't know what happened I really don't know what happened, and it, my heart's just pounding. <laughs> uh, mm. I even, don't know even now. I, yeah. 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 It, it it's right. like, I can still hear this thing in my head sounding off. I can still feel that percussion. I I, I can still all that scariness that's happened and and it's it's like post-traumatic stress disorder it just doesn't leave you it's ingrained it's burned in there and it's like i'll die with that that memory forever but um i i was so convinced that this this was not a sasquatch i was convinced it was something else i thought i ran into a movie site and i got in the way I had no idea. All I did was get on the Internet and started listening to all these vocals, like, why can't I recognize this? And it wasn't till that night I actually finally got some vocals on the Internet and put it in order, and it was African lion roar. It was a grizzly bear male that was fighting, and it was a... Um, it was a grizzly bear and lion, and I'm sorry, I forgot the third one, uh, a mountain gorilla, like when they go, oh, and they pound their chest. None of those animals live here on Vancouver Island. None. Zero. And I was, I was, I was just shocked, I guess, and in disbelief. And it took me two weeks before I actually reached out to anybody because I was so scared. I wouldn't. I didn't want to drive by there. I didn't want to do anything. And my and I just I couldn't. And and I couldn't get to rest with this because I needed to get over it. And so, that's how my passion and my research has has turned from being scared to death mm-hmm. for my life into something that is very passionate now. It's. It's uh, Cindy. It's an incredible encounter, and I've, I've heard you tell it um, quite a few times now. And uh, I can always still hear the emotion in your voice, uh, and it, like taking yeah. you back there. Uh, I remember, I remember you, uh, you were doing a presentation um, for one of the expeditions up to the Olympic project up the OP, and uh, I just remember yeah. uh, watching you uh, and getting emotional. It was uh, it was something to behold because I could I could feel. <laughs> In, in just, it was like I was there, and uh, truly, yeah. truly, yeah, uh, amazing. <laughs> well, you know, your memory doesn't forget the details, and I'll tell you, it, it, it just, I know, I know that day, and even still now, when I get days like this, I'm going, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a, it's, I've turned it into a good thing rather than let it be something I'd fear the rest of my life. Right, right. I mean, it's it really is kind of a bit of the launching point for uh, what you're doing now, and you're doing uh, amazing stuff. Uh, at least I see so, and I, I think a lot of people see that and they appreciate uh, yeah. the kind of the path, the road that you have taken, uh, which not many, not many of anybody really uh, that has gotten involved with this subject 
have taken. I mean, you you know, you get those that go out and, and well, you kind of do a lot of things, but you've really yeah. uh, found your place with with hair analysis. And uh, yes. how did how did yeah. how did that come to be? I mean, uh, obviously, you had this encounter and you contacted people, and then all of a sudden you weren't just into the hair. Uh, how did how did your encounter transform uh, from then to you getting involved with the hair analysis? Well, I was, like you said, I was very highly active out in the field. Um, I didn't spend a weekend at home. I was out in the bush. I was camping in tents. I was camping in cars. I went to places all over. I mean, I've gone all over Washington. I've been down to Kentucky. I've been down to Texas and uh, Sunshine Coast. I couldn't get enough of it. And every time I, I would have an experience with somebody else, I was more intrigued and just it was just like it was like um money i i just couldn't get enough <laughs> and um after becoming health reasons with um arthritis in my in uh, my body um i had to leave my work my job that i love very much and i uh, also had had a I had taken school many years ago to be a vet assistant, so I had to study all the um, animal sciences, they call it. So um, being I was, I had a, a knee replacement, which laid me up for over a year and a half, and I could no longer get out in the field as promptly as I could or as comfortably as I could, and I would have been a sitting duck for anything because I couldn't, I wasn't very mobile. Mm-hmm. And just the, the pain itself and the medications you take would would not make me very credible in the mind at that time, and I'd have to doubt myself, uh-huh. you know. And so I ended up bringing my microscope out and started playing around with it, and then I thought, you know, people... I've been all over the place, and I've, you know, people said, well, we got blood samples, we got hair samples, but they just sit on them. We don't know what it is. And and so I thought to myself, well, why couldn't I help out fellow researchers that get hair samples but can't afford to send them off? And and then so, you know, why don't I do the, the middle work for them? And I learned something from it too. So this is what I did was now I'm sitting at home with the microscope, and I know a lot of people. I've, you know, through expeditions, I've met, you know, the the cream of the crop of of investigators out there and researchers, and um, so for me that was a perfect uh, perfect time to reach out to them and saying, hey, you know, those hairs you were wondering about, let me take a look at one of them for you, and I'll tell you what it is. And so that's what I got into, and then I soon realized that there are hairs out there from supposedly Sasquatch, or I, I call them unknowns because I can't be 100%, that that people have or and don't know what to do with them, so they just put them away like, oh, Grandpa found this you know, 20 years ago and stuff like that, that they're sitting there deteriorating, and um, there's always a place for everything, you know. And down the line, somewhere, something, I'm hoping that, where there's hairs and they they are as I say unknown, then that person can you know one that's a, a an active area so that gives them more incentive to be a little more regular at those areas. But also it gives them 
a little more ground to say, hey, I, you know, let's send this off to see, you know, what what it is, kind of thing, right? Instead mm-hmm. of everybody assuming they got a Sasquatch hair, and then it turns out they paid five hundred dollars to find out it's not, or some places two thousand dollars, you know. So that's kind of how this evolved, and um, I like to get out in the field, and I'm finally just about all healed up, and so now. I want, I want, it's going to be a couple of things now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's so much, it's so, it's, hair is so deep, and I didn't realize how much of it until I started getting into actually studying the hair itself, mm-hmm. how how many characteristics and, and uh, um, you know, components you can tell how the animal died if it was in a fire or if it was poisoned or it did this come from a live animal or was it a shed hair i mean there are so many things and with the people that have sent in hair samples it's good for me because we've discovered discovered an, an animal that was proposed purportedly reported that they were extinct in that state and that was um a bobcat mm-hmm. In yeah. Yeah. Idaho, I think that, it was, or Ohio. Yeah. Ohio. Julia. Ohio. Yeah. 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 That was actually so our that, own Julie Wrench that that sent correct. that to you. Yeah. Right. Yes. And that was pretty exciting itself because it, um, it was it was thought that they that the bobcats had not been confirmed in in a Miami County, Ohio since like 1850, I believe it was. Correct. They were hunting out or something, yeah. Right. So, Cindy, how many um, total hair samples would you say now that you've analyzed? Now that I've analyzed, I've probably analyzed about 160 samples, if not more. And of those samples, how... How many ended up being known animals versus versus something unknown? Uh, for unknown, it's there's about six six wow. unknowns. Yeah, so you know that's good because I'm starting to build a little uh, very similar characteristic uh, database is what I'm trying to do or information. And I'll have to get someone to do a database with this, uh, but having a whole selection of different colors, different areas of unknowns, you know, it's pretty hard to say, you know, that one Sasquatch was traveling all over the place or somebody, you know, playing. We it's it's it'll start to depict its own story, right? And uh and the the hairs that I have gotten that are unknowns are all credible, credible, credible uh people. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh in fact the um the uh, limit project has sent you a few samples that have, have matched some of your other uh unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. What are you um what are you looking for now? I mean, when you you see you have these unknowns, can you describe right. those unknowns a little bit more as to what you're noticing and, and why they stand out as unknowns? Yes. Unknowns are very human like but um i would say a little more thicker a little denser i guess in a sense but these unknowns 
particularly are like a human that there is no I call it medulla, some people say medulla. It's a it's like the core of a pencil and animals are the only ones mammals, animals are the only ones that will have a medulla that runs down the center of the hair, and it's like a little black line. And sometimes it it can be like little squares or little bubbles. or um, So every animal has a specific pattern, usually to their, their medulla. And humans, most humans other than Mongolian and Asian people, have no medulla. It's a clear hair. Unless it's a chest hair, then it will have some uh, medulla in it. But most head hair or um, upper body hair will not have that uh, medulla in it. And and it just so happens that these hairs that I have, a typical unknown hair ranges from three to six inches long on, and anywhere from a, a, a darker brown to uh, a copper to a buckskin color like a light blondy color but all of them have a very distinctive highlight of red in them uh, so I would say that is the main color so if they were in the sun even a, if there was such a like a black one you would still see like red in the hair under a sun glint right so that seems to be a, a very common trait in their color that they would they they seem to go from these different um actually one one collection of hair had a gray hair in it and it was mixed with a darker hair and when i looked at it it was it looked human like when human hair goes gray uh, it will get wider and stiffer and this um hair the the roots is another good example of a human versus animal hair and unknown hairs are, are characteristic human. The the hair on the bottom, if you were to pluck a hair out of your head with the root attached, is very round, yeah, um, very round like a bulbous. Now, most other animal species, their hair, their root of their hair can range from uh, elongated oval to a very pointy spike. So... And that's another giveaway too. When you when you get a see-through hair, and the bulb is round. Now I'm looking towards human. So now I got to rule out human or unknown. And that's when you you with the microscope I do a, a measurement of the hair, uh, find any uh, trace hair products, or um, you can tell when people you know shampoo or body soaps and under you know underarm deodorants leave little crystals, um, soaps leave a funny scum. But you, under a microscope, you can see this on the hair quite well, plus the, the grooming of that hair, whether it's been combed constantly, you'll see grooves in the hair from a constant way it's been combed or if it's been dyed or even, you know, cut, trimmed properly all the time. So, and then that's one of the the things that I have to go through, the scale pattern on the hair. Another thing, unknowns, uh, your hair all has what they call a cuticle or a scale, like shingles on a roof. They um, differ. The unknowns are very large um, scales, where human is very uh, condensed, so therefore the hair feels smoother, where 
on, on the unknowns, it's a very similar pattern, but it's very spread out, so the hair feels rougher and coarser, like a horse hair or something. Um, so um, being that I had a set of three hairs from a witnessed unknowns, that I use as my refer to all unknowns to that, because it's the only one I know that was witnessed and is genuine at this point that they were not human, but they were absolutely unknowns mm-hmm. until I get so someone else that goes up and. <laughs> no, I mean, that. what you're saying is there was a, a Sasquatch sighting and, and these hairs were found in relation to that sighting. Yes. At a farm. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. There was a family of so, three that used to wash the baby in the backyard. Wow. wow. Yeah, and they they used to see them like every other day. So, and yeah, the hair came well, from a brand. Yeah. Pretty so, extraordinary. So, well, and that's but that's lack of a an actual type specimen. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the second best is to actually have, yeah. uh, you know. I, yeah, you you can you can kind of connect the dots there as opposed to a, I just found a hair in the woods. It's a hair found in the in in an area that's associated with a a Sasquatch with Sasquatch activity. So that's I mean that's cool. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that it's not it's, it's, not, it's not the best that much of a leap. Yeah. N- yeah, but it's the best thing that I have to refer to. Sure. And because the people knew about it they've seen them all the time and their little one they used to they had a brand new pool and the it hadn't been set up yet there was no chemicals it was just filled with water and the pool guy was coming back the next day to finish it it was just one of those above ground ones that you can put on you know like six feet high or whatever um Mm -hmm. yeah the the mom used to go down to the creek by their house and wash the baby the baby was like a you know probably six months old or so and uh yeah i guess she was washing at the pool and they unbeknownst to them they heard the dogs they knew they were around that night but the pool guy the next day he said he said i told you guys not to swim in there there's you know you know (laughs) and they said we didn't we didn't touch it and he goes well he said the filter's not running and i just so he said i checked it and pulled it out and there's it was this big wad of hair stuck in there and this this big wad of hair, when she looked at it, she realized it was the Sasquatch mom that bathed their baby, and the dad would always stand behind her and watch when they were there. So this clump of hair, half of it was given to me from, a, like I said, a very, very, very credible uh, person that had been investigating that place for quite some time. And mm. so I took that as my... My my starting point. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, often speaking of clumps of hair, uh, how often do you actually get sent clumps of hair over, say, just individuals or a few hairs? I've only had um, one other clump of hair sent to me. Yeah. Mostly yeah, individual and, hairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, when you're looking at, I would, I mean, a clump of hair. Um, I mean. Most of the time with Sasquatch, I mean, I think when you're looking for Sasquatch hair or come across it or what, it, it's not going to be in a clump, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's an extraordinary scenario with the, the pool because of the filter and everything. 
Uh, most yeah. time, if you're lucky, you know, where it's a barbed wire fence or a, on a tree or uh, in a bedding area or whatever, it's going to be individual yeah. areas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, usually snagged on something like the brush. Most of those type of hairs are were ready to fall out, so they were quite loose, and, and they just, you know, even us, we can be walking by, and, and a hair of mine that's been just hanging by a thread there all of a sudden decides to drop, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Well, we lose up to 80 hairs a day or something off our head. So, I mean, body hair must be even more tremendous. So for an animal like that, it would be nothing to, to be walking along losing a hair here and a hair there. And some people are very observant and they find them. But nine times out of ten, you're not going to find a clump unless it's on something that, like, tore the animal's flesh or it got got really hung up on something like a, you know, like an old, say, board or something where it got a big snag of hair. Or if, if it had hair mats, I mean, I've heard of, reports where they've had matted hair so if one of those mats got hung up on something that would be a bonus because you take out a whole clump right? right but you probably have other animal hairs entangled in that just from the fact that they you know they eat other animals carry other animals around and such and a lot of people will question like how did a dog hair get six feet up in the tree I don't know. The wind blew it, the birds carried it, or a Sasquatch killed it and had it over its shoulder. I mean, those are all sorts of stuff. But people are absolutely think they have a Sasquatch here, and they can't believe the animal that I, you know, said, no, this belongs to this animal. They can't believe it. It was like, well, well how did that get there? <laughs> going, There's too many laws of physics <laughs> to be applied. Uh, I can't tell you, <laughs> but this is what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Out of the, uh, I would, I would, you know, the amount of uh, possible unknown hairs that possibly are Sasquatch hairs, uh, that that's a number I would, you know, get sent 150 samples and maybe six. That's that's reasonable to me. If you got 150 samples and you, uh, yeah, 100 of those, uh, you know, at least you claim there were that. It'd be hard to kind of fathom. Uh, otherwise, I think this whole mystery is uh, thing would be a lot easier to figure out. But out of it, those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if 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 this was an animal that is just a fable, then these hairs wouldn't be what they are. Mm-hmm. I would be having none. Right. Out of those six hairs, I mean, or, the, you know, the, the, the unknown hairs, where about to be talking, where have these samples been sent from? Are any of those samples your own? No, not my own. No. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... Uh, Two from California. I think there's one, two, three, three from Washington, uh, one from Kentucky, and one from, I think it's, uh, I'm trying to think of, is it uh, over by New York, upstate New York somewhere? Uh, Okay. I've I've been working with a doctor He's actually a doctor, doctor. He's a, a bone surgeon for hands, and he's been sending me 12, 13 samples at a time. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. He, he's with another paranormal group he works with. So, he, yeah. So. Gotcha. Yeah, so uh, pretty much spread throughout the country. I mean, really, you got you got uh, the West Coast and the East Coast. Uh, that's, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and so it's you know it's it's not just a one off in somebody's own yard that they keep sending in. It's from all over the place, right? So yeah, 
I think it's fascinating too that you. I mean, and this is not. Uh, I personally not found a, a, a Sasquatch, but you you have not personally at least looked at a, a Sasquatch that you have found or come across. So that's that's pretty interesting to me. But I also uh, think that's actually kind of cool in a way because I think if you were finding Sasquatch, people may uh, wonder what's going on with your research. <laughs> <laughs> these, yeah. these are samples yeah. that are being sent to you, and you you've not gone. Oh, yeah, I found I found Sasquatch there. No, you haven't yet. Yeah. Uh, you you no. made down the road, but you're getting sent samples. That's awesome. Yeah, and like I said, it's from out there doing networking, knowing people, um, visiting their areas, letting them showing me what they have. Um, I'm I just wanted to learn and learn everything, and um, from these people that I deem very credible. Um, it has helped me get this started, you know, because a lot of them have been sitting on hairs or they have hairs or they know of. I mean, I was just approached um, a week ago from another talk, talk show host. Uh, I don't want to say their names, but... Um, <laughs> I think I know doing... who it is. <laughs> oh, is I, there I associated... Refer... Yeah. yeah, I actually... Associated I actually with the new refer... show? Oh, okay. maybe not. <laughs> Uh, from uh, is it a new show out to do with Bigfoot? No. There's no there's a, with that? there's there's a, a national broadcast show. It's that yes. uh, there. Okay, and that's it's, is it that's out of RP? out of out of Portland. So, yes, yes. Oh, yes. I referred is, I referred Ron to you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah they yeah. did contact <laughs> me. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. they. They, I'm very interested, and I hope to get the sample because um, mm-hmm. it's a it's a three inch by four inch skin uh, hair attached. So I'm oh, really? looking. F- yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say too much because you know maybe the guy or whoever, but yes, that's what I was right. contacted about. So I am very yeah. very stoked about that. I'm just waiting for someone to recall me or send it to me. <laughs> So the thing is, it, like you said, it is a lot of word of mouth. And when I've been asked a couple of times about a hair and, you know, oh, I have some of this hair and I don't know what to do with it, I, I refer them to you because yeah, what you, I mean, you you are uh, doing something that's, to me, it has high value to, to this, the research that, that uh, Bigfooters are doing. So, um, yeah, it's, but it also yeah, gives and, that and, person... It's free and it's part of their their research, and they begin to feel like they belong to the community of big for, uh, bigfooters and researchers, and and they get a keener eye for what they're looking for out there too. So that gives them incentive to, you know, try harder, look harder, and and stuff like that. And they know what's in the area, right? Well, and you also uh, you're building a database. Uh, yeah. You know, and it, yeah. It's got to be a slow process when. You have to go through, and and that's what you would kind of expect. Like Shane was saying earlier, yeah. is that you would you would not expect out of 150 hairs to have 100 and a high number of them come back no. as, as no. Sasquatch or unknown. So that's, that's right. cool. I mean, it. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I. Um, it's like anything, you know. You got to go through a lot to find a little. It's kind of like finding gold. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> Yeah, Cindy, might be more out of rare. these hairs, right? Um, out of these <laughs> hairs, you know, what can you 
what 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 else can you tell from here, uh, regardless of it's possibly unknown or not? Uh, one of the questions that we received was, was uh, can you tell um, determine what the animal uh, was eating? Uh, you, can you you know determine anything like that from looking at it here? No, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, not really. I mean, like as far as body conditions and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. some hairs. Um, like like I said, if it if it died, uh, you know, if the if the animal was dead and the hair was pulled out after it was dead, there is a the medulla or medulla inside would uh, abruptly stop about I don't know eighth of an inch just past the skin. It's called a post mortem band. So I can tell you this animal is dead when you got the hair from it. So, um, you know, if, if I get a, an unknown hair that's like that, I want to know where the body was, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. in a sense. Whoa. But um, I can't, yeah. yeah, as far as dietary, it would be pretty hard to, to do that. You know, like um, carotene and proteins in the hair visibly you know, you you know some of the hairs are really nice and shiny in that. So I would assume it's it's getting a very good high protein diet. Um, being one that's very pitted and sort of dull and stuff, you know, can be you know maybe something is wrong with them in that kind of sense. I have found crystals or minerals also on the hairs um, embedded in some of the root of the hair, and one was um, actually a blue clay from. Uh, around the area in Oregon of Crater Lake. Um, when I researched it and found out that, that that crystal matched identically to what they had uh, microscopically, um, that, that at one point that one unknown had visited that area or found another area very uh, identical, having this, this bright blue uh, copper copper blue clay and it has uh there's a big write-up about it the crater lake uh, clay has um, unknown properties in it to heal the flesh-eating disease once applied to the skin that um, natives used to use that for healing um you know gangrene wounds and stuff like that that Mm. this the properties in this clay so that tells me that at once upon a time somewhere that one said Sasquatch, it was actually one of the, ju- the, the the baby Sasquatch they kept washing. Had they maybe have traveled down there, or there's another area close from Washington and, and Oregon that has that same clay properties, clay uh, blue clay and sulfur properties. So, wow, that's sometimes, amazing. Yeah, you know, so the the hair tells a story. You know, you just have yeah. to find it. You know. So you know, or the, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's amazing. You know <laughs> what these these uh, these samples can tell you. I, I know that uh, I had personally sent you a sample from uh, what Jalen Scott is working on this this uh, this nesting this bedding area. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I had sent you a sample, uh, a few, yeah. and um, it came back. You you told me it was a raccoon, but not just uh, a raccoon, but it was dead. And I I was like dead. Well, I found the nest, and so. How yeah. did it get there? I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, because like I said, the postmortem mortem band was there. Mm-hmm. The root, the way the root was attached um, on the end of the hair, and raccoon is the most popular hair I get out really? of anything. <laughs> yep, 
it is the most popular and and I think you know a lot of people use bait stations or you know find them in trees and that but the I guess the length and the color of a raccoon hair is what people are are sort of intrigued to but I'll t- I would say that probably out of the 150 I'm going to say probably 70 of them were raccoon or ringtail which is in the lower states which is a raccoon family it's a subspecies or whatever yeah so well you know so you get raccoon a lot what other um i mean i would assume probably human hair uh, what are some of the top hairs you get sent that uh, you know that are known um uh raccoon and deer elk and mm-hmm. um cougar you get a lot of cougar um the one bobcat and um yeah, like I said, black bear, black bear and deer, are the are the black most bear and yeah, black bear, deer and and elk. Which most people, after a while, know the difference between a deer hair and an elk hair compared to what you would look. The Sasquatch hair is is somewhat limp, like your head hair. If you pluck the hair off your head and just watch it drape, Sasquatch mm-hmm. hair does that. So it's not poker straight and it's not wavy. It, it's just like a head hair, uh, very similar to that. It's not curly unless they, I, I mean, I don't know if it's the pubic hair is curly or not, but I haven't had any of those, so I couldn't, you know, from a from an unknown, so I don't know. But, you know, I've had a lot of um, under fur, which is like the, uh, you get the fo- small fuzzy stuff fur. Mm-hmm. I've had um, wild boar hair. I've had uh, goat hair, stuff like that. But yeah, I would say the biggest one, the biggest one is raccoon. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what about the, with the unknown hairs that you've uh, been sent and 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 looked at? What is what is the uh, the most interesting similarity out of those six unknown hairs? Is it the the uh, the color? I mean, what's the, most, the number one most interesting you know kind of uh, thing that you you found with the hairs, the unknowns? The unknowns, um, the most interesting and the most prominent thing that I found about them was was the um the color the color range and and uh, um i um i studied i used to uh, um raise quarter horse paints and if anybody's ever in the horse world that to to register a quarter horse paint you have to take fifty some hairs from the foal and send it in with a registration application and they will they DNA it and stuff like that or whatever they do to associate it with that particular animal. Well in this um this book I was reading I think that the that they were working on uh with horse color and then it it it's subjected to, to any animal hair color that this one group were working with uh, white hair animals, black hair animals, uh, blonde hair animals, and red hair animals. And the the most prominent thing that stuck out in their whole research was that any animal that had red hair was the most aggressive huh. by nature and by uh, disposition. Yeah, I, any you know, Irishman? I, I, <laughs> Irishman? Yeah, yeah I was going to say I, I, Exactly. I know. I've I've, 
I've been, you know, I'm being Scottish. I've been around a lot of Irish uh, women, and I, I would have to vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I found it fascinating. It was a piece of information my head glommed onto, and, and that was many, many, many years ago. And even now, when I'm thinking about it, all those unknown hairs have a, you know, a shade of red pigmentation in it. So, um, yeah, uh, they'd have to be aggressive to survive this long. I mean, we, you know, we have heard of stories, including mine, of just the the whole confrontation, the whole actions of this animal. It was very aggressive. Um, that I think if I wouldn't have come out of the woods when I did, I could have been in probably, I don't want to know, to tell you the truth, but I think the situation would have been a lot more drastic at that time. Yeah. And, and yet you still go out. <laughs> I know. You know what? I, I just couldn't handle being afraid of the forest. I love the forest. And, you know, when when I first went out with um, – I contact – I actually – somebody from BFRO actually phoned me because I found the site, and I said, I don't know what happened to me, but this is what's happened – and I said, I think it was a TV show or a TV set. I really did. I thought it was a movie because they do lots of movies around here. And I was like, that that was the only piece of sane mind I had was, okay, if it was a movie, it's okay. I can accept that. It, it That's the way I was thinking at the time, like, this can't be real, right? And, um, yeah, they contacted me. And so I got involved with them because they had an expedition here. And I thought they were the most craziest people Ever, and I'm not talking about the BFRO, I'm talking about Bigfoot researchers. They're crazy. <laughs> Who walks around in the dark with no flashlight, no headlight cameras, and whistling Dixie down the road or singing Christmas songs and hiding in the bush? And I'm just like, oh my God, they're really going to get hurt. <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, but damn, they sucked me in. <laughs> um, yeah. And over the years, I have seen them, I have smelt them, I've heard them, and um, You're but, talking about damn. Bigfoot or, or BFRO people? No, Sasquatch, yeah, Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, some of the BFRO, yeah, when they've been out camping too long, yeah. <laughs> so, Cindy, tell, tell us a little bit about some of your other experiences. You said now that you've seen them and smelt them and, and heard them, so... yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, On different expeditions, different things happen. Um, You know, um, I've had uh, trees pushed down at us uh, when I was with another lady out at um, Quinault Lake camping. Um, That was pretty scary. (laughs) The thing ran by the tent and hit our shower tent that I had uh, uh, pitched up uh, separately, it had steel poles on it, and it had guide wires. And after this, this whatever was sitting up there watching us that stunk like dog poop, uh, it it uh, pushed this big tree, and it just missed our tent, like 20 feet short of missing our tent. And we knew that it was an August night, and it was nice and calm out, that um, this tree just didn't happen to fall because we were sitting at the right place at the right time but our tent would have got smushed if we had moved it back any further towards this ridge line um so you know um 
this thing went running by the tent after, and we thought it was deer, but it was actually grabbed a hold of the 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 guide wire and tripped over, and then it ran up the hill again, uh, where the tree got pushed down, and all we could hear is this oomph. And then we hear this twang, 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 and I started laughing because I just had this vision of my whole shower going up the hill, tangled to the Sasquatch going up the hill. Uh, but so some of the things are very scary, but they're very real. I've had rocks thrown at me, uh, myself and four others, um, over in Seashell. We were sitting on a lakeside and watching the water with a thermal, and it came out from behind us. And when I stood up, with the parabolic and turned it around, it was standing there. I could see these two uh, green-yellow eyes about six feet off the ground. But this rock had actually come flying out of the air and hit between myself and another lady, her chair. There was a, a fire ring there, and we had our backs turned to it, but there was no fire. And this rock the size of a toonie hit hit one of the rocks on the fire ring and went ping, 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 and we're going, we look up, and there's no, no owls at 1 o'clock in the morning are flying around dropping rocks on us. It just doesn't happen. So um, that was another interesting thing. We had it recorded. Um, there was whistles that followed that rock, and the lady that was sitting beside me actually was a young lady from uh, eastern shoreboard, I think Chicago, that way. Um, she was a prime primatologist that she would work with primates in in research um, especially just like with chimps and uh, when she'd walk into the lab every day all the chimps would whistle at her and she said immediately after that rock this whistle came and she said that sounded just like the chimps at work now, that's very interesting. And this was a girl that's never been out on an expedition before and knew nothing of Sasquatch at all. So, you know, it's those little things that make my experiences very credible for me. Yeah. Right? No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I've had visuals um, uh, in Washington down there, um, myself and three other people. We watched them standing there. We watched them with a thermal. Um it's it's just um yeah you know um uh yeah i've had i think two trees pushed down a couple of rocks here and there at the whistling mm-hmm. at night is is very interesting we had a young man that went that uh, was new to sasquatching and he went to go pee and said well just go pee by that tree over there that's where us girls were going so he got up and walked over there and we were just sitting out there doing a recon out in the woods, and he did that, and as soon as he, you could hear a zipper go down, you hear this, <laughs> just like the, the chimp noise, and we're going, mm-hmm. what the fuck is that? There's no birds out here that whistle, and he, mm-hmm. the guy got scared, he couldn't pee, so he zipped up the fly and came back, he goes, what the hell? <laughs> and I go, we didn't do it, honestly, <laughs> we didn't do it, so um, it, it's, you have to go out in the field, to learn what people talk about when they say their eyes glow. Yes, they do. I don't care what anybody says. I was there. I've seen it, and I've seen it on numerous occasions. I've seen it with a Sasquatch 75 feet in in the tree line standing there. You can see the silhouette of a mom and the little one squatting there. The little The little guys, their eyes are more blue, and the taller one, her eyes were more yellowy-orange. And I'm saying her because it was quite a little one that I associated it as a female. Now, 
there was myself, two other women, and one one gentleman. And we all seen it. We all watched her. And she smelt something horrible. She smelt like cross between uh, like a ferret oil smell or billy goat, you know, that musky, oily smell, and mm-hmm. an old dirty barn full of urine. You mix those two together and it make your eyes water and make you want to puke. That's what she smelled like. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so you know, my... Well, you know, it's it's like the the you know the larger primates they excrete um, quite a smell, a pungent smell from their armpits when they get scared. Well, yeah. maybe something like that is also associated with them. I don't know, but the smell was very thick and pungent, but it it wasn't wafting. It was almost like it was like somebody pointed a hose at you and sprayed it in the air, and you know, but. I tell you, it worked. It, it was like, oh my god! And then it would just disappear. When she disappeared, the smell went disappeared. So, and then throughout the the days later, on this expedition, everybody would added, you know, two miles down the road, something just stinks down here. And I said, what does it smell like? It smells like somebody's old cow barn, and the cows they haven't cleaned the straw in a long time. So we called her stink stank stunk. <laughs> so anytime you had this awful smell. I mean, it was like undescribable smell. Then we knew we were tracking that one Sasquatch through this this valley that she was checking us all out. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, you know I've smelt. I've never personally smelled what I would even consider you know, be associated with Sasquatch that smell. But I've taken many reports and all that nature. I have been to uh, the zoo and whatnot a few on a few occasions and smelt a male uh, silverback gorillas. No, and it's it's pretty atrocious, but it's uh, you know, and it's uh, he could be fifty feet away, and you can smell it, and it's almost like it's directed at you. It's kind of like hanging there, and it's a thick, yeah, uh, like yeah. burnt rubber. It's hard to describe, but it, it's pretty pretty bad. But it, it's uh, I I think man, if that's what people are smelling, it even you know, and that it's usually worse uh, described worse than that. Like, wow, that's pretty uh pretty pungent, and uh, and uh, you know, so it made me inquire as to why. Uh, primates do that, you know, like silverbacks, and it's pretty interesting. You know, they get scared, and they, there's a couple other reasons they do it, but um, yeah, it, it, would make, it would make smell. sense. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. makes sense. Lots of people doing that. Yeah, like you don't want to eat me. Look how I, you know, how <laughs> I smell so good. <laughs> you know, it may be a way to protect themselves or identifying themselves. I don't know. Like two other, mm-hmm. you know, um, many people seen them in family groups, and so we. You know, the best idea that we could come up with is that they must have clans, uh, you know, their own, like, family, uh, you know, communities, and um, that maybe they identify themselves with each with a little distinct odor that they have or do or whatever, right? So that could be another thing if they, they stumbled into some other buddy's territory or vice versa, you know. Um, mm-hmm. When I go out on expeditions, I do role-playing, and um, role-playing, um, I get a group to walk down the road, a couple miles down the road, and we did this successfully here on Vancouver Island, and we got a return vocal. Um, we had one gentleman in the first group out there do a mail call in a higher pitch. He was younger, and I wanted him just to go, uh, like, ah, 
like calling for a female and just have that emotion in your voice and nothing specific as words, right? And then I had a a female group that was uh, half a mile in between them and base camp and had her answer him within about three seconds later, like, I'm over here in a high-pitched voice kind of thing. Same with the emotion. And then at base camp, I got one of the older guys to do his really strong male call. And he waited about maybe a minute, and I said, okay, do it. So then he let out a call, like, if you don't find her, I will. And within two minutes after that, 20 people were sitting there at base camp, were sitting on this this open logging platform, and were facing this big mount, and out of there came this... And it just echoed through the whole valley. And everybody that were sitting down, all of a sudden, you could see everybody slowly creeping back to their vehicles. And they're going, holy fuck, it's, oh, my God, it's real. It does happen. And I go, yep, it worked. <laughs> so wow. they're territorial. Um, and um, by doing this role playing, you can fool them maybe once. But, you know, it depends. Uh, what, were, what I was hoping for, they were going to actually come off that mountain and check to see who's in my, my area, right? So mm-hmm. that's what I do, always do. Like, hey, we're a new gang in your area, and I get the boys to do their calls and that and sort of trash the bush a bit with the trees and that, saying, hey, we're a new gang, we're going to claim this area. That's, you know, hopefully it's already claimed and have a, uh, like, interaction, like an aggressive re- interaction um, with with the resident Sasquatch, or at least get a, a really good uh, vocalization from them anyways. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and getting back to a little bit on the whistles, you know, I, I find the whistling thing pretty in, intriguing. I've heard whistles on three different occasions uh, that I found were interesting. One was uh, up in uh, Mount Hood, Oregon, where I had my encounter, and then the second one was with uh, the Olympic Project when Dr. Meldrum was out with us, and he had asked somebody in the group to whistle in an area where... Yeah we were having activity and we got an immediate response that get the hair in my arm because it wasn't too far away. And I know. <laughs> the, yeah. And the, yeah. And the third one was out in the coast of Oregon um, uh, with my buddy, Larry Turner and uh, his dog reacted. Uh, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And so, but the whistling thing, you know, is actually reported. It's been reported for a long time. It's not like a recent thing. If you look at some of the, uh, uh, Native American um, uh, creation, the mass creations. It, yeah, yeah. It, it's you know something that it, that is associated with Sasquatch. Yeah, the whistling woman of the woods or the wild man of the woods, uh, Thumquis, Buckquis, uh, Tusanka. They all have those pursed lips in a lot of their their uh, Native folklore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. What what makes uh what makes Vancouver Island such a uh, you know it, it's got a history of Sasquatch sightings. Uh, besides your own, and it's, uh, you know, John Vandernagel lives there. They found impressions and stuff there, and it's got a, a rich history. What makes, yeah. you know, Vancouver Island such a great location? I mean, it's a pretty big island, too. Oh, yeah. It takes uh, six to eight hours to go from one end to the other, and it mm-hmm. takes three hours to drive across it, okay? So it's not little. Um, the unique thing about Vancouver Island is is that, a lot of the animals that actually live, like on the mainland of British Columbia, the province and stuff, don't are not here. I mean, we don't have coyotes, we don't have poisonous snakes, uh, we don't have magpies, certain birds. 
um, our deer, or just the little fellow, the California black deer. Um, but we didn't have elk. They were introduced here. Uh, we don't have moose. Um, we There's a lot of things that we don't have, gophers, uh, badgers, uh, wolverines, stuff like that. So we often wondered, why is the island lacking so much stuff did it actually come from the mainland or was it shifted down from alaska or something it's just very odd um our even our wolves that we have here are distinctly different the, you know the pacific um sort of gray red wolf and they're very aggressive these guys will will come after you they're very aggressive um our our black bear are huge and they're bigger than any other black bear in the world. These guys truck around 600 to 800 pounds. Uh, they don't hibernate. <laughs> um, yeah, they're as big as a grizzly, you know. Um, um, but I think it's our climate here because it's, um, it's very mild. So they can establish themselves here. Uh, Vancouver Island is is a lot of limestone. We have, you know... 80 miles, 70 miles or something like that of just caves, limestone caves that go from one end of the island to the other. Um, So, you know, um, it makes good habitat for traveling, hiding, uh, the minerals and stuff like that. So um, I'm not too sure why that maybe the Sasquatch got on here, found it remote, and then eventually um, maybe swam down to, like, Port Angeles and that because it's not far from there. And same with the mainland. So it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. But I know that the um, the ones that are here, that they um, they um, their footprints seem to be very wide compared to other places. So I'm not sure why that is. But Vancouver Island, though, you know. It's, it, I've never been to Vancouver Island, but uh, you know it's it's uh, kind of a, a mecca for me <laughs> just because of the, not the, not just you know the encounters and stuff and the sightings and the history, but because uh, you know got two of my favorite people living there, uh, you and, and John Venerable. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I moved here from the prairies with no intention of sasquatching, but it just seems like for whatever reason the sasquatch is showing up on my doorstep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and that's a that's a good thing for the uh, Bigfoot world. <laughs> um, well, thank you. Yeah, what what about you have? And I, you'll have to forgive me, but have you discovered a nest or bedding area? I know that you you reassembled one. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah, and that's yeah. also an interesting topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. out um, on the south tip of Vancouver Island, out by um, Port Renfrew, where they. It hits Long Beach, and people go hiking and stuff out there. But I was called out there because these kids used to go out there and get um, elk horns, the sheds, off this this island in the middle of the river. And uh, so I went out there, and, and they found this humongous bed, and it looked like a, a bird bed um, on the ground. But it was completely made of sword fern, that you find in the forest here. And all the ends of the sword ferns were, were they looked like they were chewed off. They weren't mm-hmm. cut. But 
in this big dent in in the ground under an old fir tree, so it was dry. But this fir tree was huge, right? The bough was covered over it. And this this big semicircular bed was five feet, five and a half feet wide, and it was over six feet long. But it was ten inches thick of sword fern. Now. There were some big branches that went crosswise in that hollow, so it was almost like support, you know. But the thing is, with the sword fern, it wasn't it wasn't just a one-off, one time. It was over a period of time. The sword fern on the very bottom were old and dry and crunched up, and then there was a new layer of, of it seemed like some grass and sword ferns, and then, you know, months after that, there was another layer and then another layer. And so whatever was there was returning to the spot, um, you know, constantly, I would say, you know, maybe every two months or something, but refreshing this bed with a thick, plush sword fern. Um, it was weird, but the, the catch-all to that was is there was a pile of feces right at the, what I would say, the foot end of the bed um, that fascinated me was is, it was like three and a half inches round. I mean, horses poop bigger or about that size. This thing was easily that round, and and it it was a huge poop, um, like one one defecation. Um, it uh, <laughs> it was thirteen. It was thirteen inches by thirteen inches wide, and it was thirteen inches high. Wow! Tall. <laughs> This this mound of feces right at the foot end of this bed. Now I know bears can shit, but this wasn't bear shit. <laughs> this mm-hmm. was yeah. a very uh, formed and it, like it had been eating. It had been eating sedge grass and uh, and some kind of animal fats and stuff because it was kind of held together. But um, I couldn't see a black bear going around the this whole bed about. 50 feet around it, all the sword ferns were gone. It was, they were, looked like they'd been chewed off and bent, and I have some of the original sword fern because it was just crazy um, the way it was broke off. It looked like, you know, there was, uh, it had been chewed off. It wasn't like a human had made this bed and, and used a knife or whatever or pulled the sword. All the sword fern was chewed off about two inches from the ground. And you could see all the little the little stems everywhere, but there was also um, a couple of things that that um, when you get sort of a tree, um, um, I call them like little tree structures where they'll get five or six small twigs that are all f- propped up against each other, and they make this funny little pyramid. And sometimes there there'll be one that goes crosswise, supported by this funny little pyramid of twigs and stuff. Well, there was one of those not far from it, ten feet away. Like wow. a yeah, so I know a bear didn't do that because it was very <laughs> hands on, yeah. And over the years of going to different areas, that that I've seen huge ones like that. Like there's no way a human possibly could have done it. So the the sheer physics of it led me to believe it was done, you know, by something strong. But this area here, it was it was very. I laid it actually in the bed, mm-hmm. and um, I couldn't it. It was perfect size. Like, it was huge. It was the size of a queen-size bed. Was it comfy? 
It, well, you know, <laughs> there was a few lumps, but um, I just did it for size so I could show comparison. But <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It. yeah, I I took Dave Hill and a few other guys. We tried to get out there several times, but you have to get there when there's a low tide so you can walk out there. Otherwise, you can't get out there. You need a canoe. And I wanted to put the whole bed on... Um, on uh, like a tarp and then bring it back home, all one complete bed. Yeah, I did manage to kind of take some of the stuff from the bed, but I didn't want to destroy it too much. But I was looking for insects, and then I wasn't so much into hair then, but I was still looking for something, anything like that, right? But now I, I kick myself because, you know, I should go back out there and see if there's any remnants of it. But I just got to get the guys together and actually get a canoe or something to do this. <laughs> but, yeah, it was very unique. It was interesting. And... uh uh, I've seen one other nest sort of like that out here by Couch and Lake where I live as well. So it's it's really fascinating talking to you about this, and, and because it th- that particular uh, nest you're, you're describing, that which you know you saw, is so similar to what the you know Lynn probably working with, you know, with the yeah. nesting sites. Uh, it's it's uncanny, and uh, I mean your description is pretty amazing to me because even when you're talking about you know these larger limbs, um kind of as a support thing, I, I have found that with uh, with one of the nests, I actually reached down in on the outside and felt, I felt large lens down there. I haven't, uh, we haven't yeah. exposed any more than that, but there was larger lens, almost like a structure, uh, you know, to support the this, uh, this top part of the nest. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And then, um, of course, with the, the clippings as well, I mean, the, the, with you yeah. know, about 50 feet around there, that's that's kind of the same sort of scenario. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't done with uh like mechanical means or a knife or anything, mm-hmm. but it, it looked like a dog had tried to chew on it sideways until mm-hmm. they got it off and then used it. That's what it looked like and I just going, you know, that's just like, wow. I know a bear wouldn't chew a one sword fern off and carry it all the way over there and spit it on a bed and continue to do that every time it visited the area cuz black bears just don't make nests. They make dens right. in a den. They don't make, this was just on the ground, exposed, just under an overhanging tree. But the thing was is that it was in the San Juan River, and salmon come from the ocean and go up either side of that when it's spawning time. Mm-hmm. So it it was getting its food right out the door there. So yeah, yeah, and that's that's you know? yeah, same sort of same sort of scenario with the the uh, yeah. the bedding or we're working with. Uh, so yeah. it's it's. It, it kind of paints me, paints me a picture. And then you also mentioned, you know, the scat, the feces. Uh, well, yeah. uh, on on the original find, there was, uh, you know, scat and feces around these nests. And if you look at what gorillas do, it's it's very very similar. Not just the nests, but the behavior, like the the scat around there. And so, yeah, it really paints a picture in my head um, that these 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 bedding areas, these nests, may possibly be Sasquatch. You know, without having seen them in there, other than some of the hair samples that you received uh, did come up, you know, unknown. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's um, So you, those kind of things, you know, are starting to form some of the field stuff, research that we're, we're starting to learn about habitat and, and or I call them anomalies because nobody wants mm-hmm. to say out, nobody's seen them do it. So I call them forest anomalies. You you start getting all these different forest anomalies reoccurring 
um, in the same areas where there's been activity, where there's been hair, or just abnormal-looking stuff that we can't associate to any of the local animals, you know. Um, so these are, you know, over the years I'm starting to get all these little pieces, and like you, it's starting to form a picture that these are the signs we need to look for. Now we're starting to get things that we, we know what to look for. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of an exciting time, I think, to be involved with this research. Uh, yes. Because I think we are compiling, um, yes. there's, you know, there's a lot of individuals, but there's a great amount of data and evidence coming out, and we're compiling yeah. that. Uh, yeah. And uh, you, you're, you're one of those, those people compiling data with hair, and there's others that are compiling data with, sightings and and, uh, and it's really come together uh, I'm really excited about what's coming down the road here uh, what have you got planned uh you got any uh, I know you're, you're recovering um what do you have planned uh, down the road here for, what's in your future um I'm looking to get back out into the forest and start um you know looking around for you know I want to get in there and and be hands-on again I really need it um you know, you don't get rusty, but, you know, after a while, everything gets to be mundane. And being I've been away from that, the love that I like to do, um, I'm really eager to get out and, and now more focused because of what I have learned, the thing, the tools I have, I share with everybody what I find and try to find other people to compare similarities in their stories or what their finds are because, like I said, this is this helps us get a complete picture on how they live or where, what we should be looking for more readily, uh, and um, um, yeah, I'm hoping to, yeah, get out more. Um, heading down to Oregon this summer. I'm going to do a two weeks uh, vacation down in Oregon, traveling all over. Um, going to Beachfoot, but I'm also we're hitting like um, looking for gemstones and stuff like that. So awesome. Well, fantastic. What's, yeah. the, what's, what's the best way, uh, and I get this all the time, and uh, what's the best way, say uh, someone finds some, some hair uh, of interest, uh, maybe they just found it or it's got, you know, they think it's possibly a Sasquatch. What's the best way to to uh, collect that, and, and, and how do they go about sending it to you? I mean, they, they just, yeah. you know, obviously don't just shove it in any old bag and just do that. There, there, no. There's ways to... Uh, no, obviously there's, you're not there, looking at it through the DNA, but well, you, any hair that you get and and you find and and you want it to be examined, or you're just curious it, it, because you think it's from a Sasquatch, it doesn't matter if it didn't or not. Any hair, this is the way you should handle it. First of all, you don't want to breathe, cough, or spit on it. You should have a pair of tweezers or a rubber glove or a stick or something that you're not going to touch the hair because you want to cut down the least amount of cross-contamination from from you on it. Um, the hair should be always put into a dry envelope uh, or paper bag, uh, no plastic products, no Ziploc baggies, no cell phone cigarette wrappers. And I've heard of all sorts of stuff. Don't stick it in any plastic bottle or uh, anything with plastic because that will one, the mold will kill the DNA, but two, the 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 chemicals in the plastic will also kill the DNA if there's any in that specimen whatsoever. And if the hair will start to rot, 
it, it I can't get the characteristics off uh, a good hair if it happened to be when it's rotting. Like it'll fall apart literally like a moth that eaten it. You'll get it under the microscope and you can't tell. Like there isn't enough area to, to get a distinctive scale pattern or, you know, anything like that. It becomes, um, you know, deteriorated beyond um, any help for anybody. Um, the paper, just um, keep it in a dry you know, you know, room temperature area, don't leave it in the glove compartment in the car because heat will destroy DNA faster than anything. If it gets cold, it's okay, but heat is the worst thing. Don't keep it in sunlight. And um, if you really want to know what it is and you're interested in, in having me look at it, um, you know, Homiday Enigma is um, a website I have on Facebook and you can go there. It also discusses again there on how to you know do the hair. But my my mailing address is on there. You can send it that way um, if you want. Um, just send it in an envelope with the date, the time. Um, always sign your name on it as as what we call a um, uh, uh, chain. Uh, <laughs> chain of custody, which means you if, you got, if you got some really good hairs and you just send me one or two and you keep the other half, that way if it's a viable hair, it's a really good hair, you have the other half that you can send it in and get it tested. Um, it also you know, um, lets you be in control of your own sample. Some people have been talked into giving their whole sample to them. You know, We've heard from previous um, stories of DNA and stuff like that, that once you lose your entire sample, it can never be retrieved. And some people will lose it. They'll they'll use it till there's nothing left, and you have nothing. So always keep part of your own sample. If you get one hair, I can look at the hair without putting it uh, permanently under a glass slide. Um, it's not as easy to identify, but it'll preserve that hair if, you, if we think we can get DNA, if it's got a great root on it. Um, you know, like again, pluck a hair out of your head and take a good look at it. See that little root on the end? Um, that's very important. That's your DNA. Um, the hair itself, you can get... Um, uh, mitochondrial DNA out of the inside of the hair, and that's mostly what a lot of these places have been doing. They crush the hair, they spin it, they extract it, and the mitochondrial DNA tells you the family history on the um, Like if it's a chimpanzee from Africa, you know, it, it, it goes up for the lineage, the lineage, lineage, lineage of, the, of that hair. It doesn't tell you if it's uh, a Sasquatch or whatever. It's not specific. It'll tell you if anything with mitochondrial DNA. It's they just come up. Nothing can read it because there's nothing in the database for it to read. So it comes up unknown. Um, the other nuclear uh, nucleic DNA is is the DNA that they get from uh, marrow in bones and in teeth and and skin and also on the hair. Follicle, the round bulbous hair follicle, the root is is like flesh, and it has the the proper DNA cells in it to determine the exact species it came from. Right, that's what you need. If it comes out like you know, it's it's again unknown. 
at least it's, you know, if it's half human, half gorilla or whatever, that's the important information is that little little tag, skin tag on the end of that hair. That's the one that costs you the big money to get looked at, but it's the one that's got the answer. So um, it, it's it's got to be protective. Mm-hmm. So if you get one hair, you know, you can, if you want, just cut it down in half and, and like, can look at the tip and the mid shaft of it um, for you, uh, or send me the whole thing. If you think I'm going to lose it or damage it, then just send half the hair, because I can tell you right away, if I think it's human or unknown, then you possibly have a good hair, and we can go from there as to what you might want to do. Um, but half a hair will tell me if it's a raccoon or a bear or a wolf hair, coyote hair, um, and then you don't have to be be wondering where you're going to send it to and have the money to have it processed. I'm saving you that extra step from losing all your money. But in return, I I keep the little hair sample that you provided with me for me is because um again, this is for statistics <laughs> for my database. You're building information yeah, for yeah, right. yeah, statistics. Yeah, you're you building know, like a you database. Asking, right. Yeah, like like how many, you know, what percentage is more raccoon than anything else? Or, you know, all these things will come into play, you know, every time I get a sample. So I get, you know, being I'm doing this service for free, you get the photos, and the microscope takes pretty good photos. And I email those to you, plus a write-up, and, and so that you can print it off and say, this is what my hair was, blah, 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 right? And... um that's free to you. That's my service to you as a, an investigator, or a, a squatcher, or a bigfooter. Um, but the little bit that I get out of it is part of that hair sample to hopefully build up enough information, sometime, somehow, somewhere, or even me, that this will be enough to say this is what we got. And and well, from there, hope you know it's a it's it's a stepping stone to something hopefully better and uh open up more questions and and stuff you know <laughs> and Cindy that that kind of rolls into the my next question what are what are your goals for utilizing hair analysis as it applies to proving sasquatch i mean what what is what is your end game here well my end game is is that I get enough unknown samples to build a, like a small library and um, that we can get to that next step with an individuals that are getting good unknown hairs. And if I get, you know, 25 unknown hairs and in certain areas have certain colors, at least we know mm-hmm. the reports that are coming in from that area. We know it, that that Sasquatch is in that area, and that provides that researcher with a little more information is to pay attention, close attention to that area at certain times of year, um, you know. Um, but it also uh, makes it that we can you focus a little tighter on some of your areas. You may be more able to get a better collection of DNA, like uh, blood and saliva. Um, and hopefully, if there ever should be a corpse that shows up, and I and I'm I'm I don't want people killing them. I'm a non-kill group. I will not shoot one. Uh, I I um, I don't. Uh, I <laughs> they don't travel in one. Very seldom. I don't think they travel in one. And I would not risk my life and limb over trying to kill uh, one of these things. But um, hopefully, we get enough information to say that 
we have many tribes, many species of Bigfoot in the states or wherever in the world, and this is what this one does, this is what this one does. So we narrow down the concentration, and eventually we can say, this area is protective, it's off limits because we know this family lives here, right? Um, so are you, I mean, at, at some point would you um, present these hairs to uh, the scientific community? Have you had any had any uh, contact with scientists um, that, you know? No. I mean, I would eventually, if, you know, I'm, I'm, I have had contact with some, uh, the Chicago University, um, he was, um, uh, Professor, oh, let's see, I got his card here. Um, yeah, the Illinois State University, uh, Angelo, Dr. Angelo, Ca- is it Caparelli? Caparella? Uh, he's uh, the professor of zoology and creator of, uh, curator of uh, vertebrates uh, in uh, Illinois University. And he approached me on my hair thing, and uh, he's taken me under his wing. Um, providing me with um, a lot of uh, library books and stuff that I can't get uh, because I'm not a a student. But he also works with people, teaching them how to study this. And he was quite intrigued about what I had to say with the hair. And um, he's willing to give me a hand, like sorting out how to do a database, um, like what information and how to set it up, how it's pertinent. So I've had people in the sense of, you know, science world or or even, you know, education-wise uh, that would be interested on trying to, you know, what are, where are we going to take this? What do we do, right? So, you know, it's not a waste of my time because I love doing it, and some somehow it's going to turn into something. I just don't know what yet. But, you know, if you get enough of it, it's got to do something, right? We, sure, know. there's a... There, I mean, there is. There has to be a tipping point where, it, you know, kind of, uh, we can take, we can take the results of what you're doing and and present them to, yeah, yeah. someone in mainstream science that says, hey, and maybe get some interest. I, yeah, because what you're doing is, it is is a scientific study. It's not just, you know, you're you're actually. It's not a, a wild ass guess. It's you're taking no. and separating a a sampling of of hairs that are found in the woods, some associated yeah. with with uh, uh, reports of of Sasquatches, and matching those up to those stories. I mean, that's that's about as close as we can get. We, you know, hearing a, a a lot of audio stuff in the woods, a lot of you know even sightings without any evidence. This actually puts two pieces together, which is I find it's fascinating and and. Uh, we're, we're looking, you know, for me, it's about physical evidence. Yes. Uh, audio stuff, we got, we got some a lot of interesting audio stuff that also goes into that. But we, but I, there's, as far as I know, there's no, uh, other than Ron Moorhead's audio recordings, any associated yeah. uh, sightings necessarily. We don't have video of Bigfoot screaming, or, but we can, we now have hairs associated with those Bigfoot reports. Yeah. So that's. That's really cool. Yes, it's something coming out. Yes, and in you know, trying to find scat, um, you know, Kentucky uh, the research there um, where they had you know blood on the plates and stuff. I went to that place. I was invited to stay there for three weeks, 
And um, it, it was very interesting, um, the terrain on how the interactions went down, what they did, and it, it's still happening today. Not as often, but it still happens today, okay? So um, I learned lots from that, too, just, you know, the um, seeing the footage that was out there and visiting the area will definitely, in it lets you know actually what's happening in the footing. The footing is real. It's not a costume. I'll tell you that. You're, you're um, talking. You're referring to um, Matilda. The, it, yes, the BFRO yeah. film site of, uh, initially, and then it became a, Adrian Erickson's. Okay. So, and you're you're um, you have some more personal knowledge of what happened in that that research. I was back in the BFRO back in the day back then, and and yeah. knew some of the people mm-hmm. that were involved. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I always, you know, the the uh, tease was always that there was some really compelling uh, uh, video that was going to come out, and and uh, it it uh, again, it was it, it it fell into interesting, but not conclusive. So. Yeah, there's there's more to that that has not been talked about. And um, right. that's all I'm going to say. But John Bendernagel's right. <laughs> been there. I've been there. So, right. yeah. Yeah, this was, I'll just say it wasn't hoaxed. Yeah. And, the, and there's, I remember back, yeah, initial, the initial video was the pancake video. And I'm, for people that aren't familiar, there was a, a report uh, umpteen years ago now. It's been quite a while ago. Probably. Yes, yeah, it sure has, 15, yeah. Yeah, maybe 15 years ago out of, of this couple habituating uh, a Sasquatch in their area, that they were putting out pancakes, and the guy was singing, and these big foot. It was a, it was a mother, mother daughter. Yeah, mother daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually, um, eventually, that the report was submitted to the BFRO. The BFRO actually did a uh, a study there for quite some time, and uh, uh, the first video that I ever saw was was called the pancake video. And it purported it was a night vision video of a a small Sasquatch coming up and sitting and eating pancakes, and it, mm-hmm. it was pretty interesting at the time. And then it got taken down, and it and then the story mm-hmm. gets very long and and convoluted. As um, a gentleman from Canada, I believe, bought the property. Um, yeah, the Adrian. couple that lived there. Yes, Erickson. Yes. And then that couple moved a little ways down the the road from where they were and supposedly lured the Sasquatches to their yeah, new property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because so, but then, the lady that was feeding them took over for her mom. Her mom used to feed them for, you know, <laughs> half her lifetime. It used to be in behind an outhouse out there that she would throw the waste scraps after supper. She would throw them out there, and she thought just cats and dogs or whatever wild were eating it. But then when she went out there one day and it was standing there waiting for the scraps, <laughs> the mom realized that she had to keep it quiet because this was not a dog, and so then she they they started taking pancakes out. The mom started this, and this transferred on when the mom got too old to live in that house. She moved out of there, and the daughter stayed, and her boyfriend moved in with her, and uh, the daughter took on the role of her mom, and it got to the point that if the daughter was out working. Um, she would be coming down the road. One of them would be standing out in the road waiting for her to come home because it wanted the pancakes. 
Well, the thing is, is the neighbor that lives there, she's, uh, the lady and the gentleman that lives next door, they're elderly. And when I was there, that lady confirmed it. Oh, yeah. She goes, why do you think my dogs are in? She had dogs halfway down her backyard into this holler where they used to come up from. And she goes, why do you think the dogs are there? She goes, I don't want those damn things near me. She says, they come through here all the time. Yes. No. That's, so, I mean, that, I it mean, was always. It wasn't yeah. just, yeah, they were seen by everybody yeah. that lived around there. And it wasn't just one. <laughs> right. It was a family, like, yeah. So um, uh, it just is, when you go there, you're going, you know, it just, um, it's, yeah, it, it's, you see how everything fits in, into place and, and what happened right, down it, there. And the story yeah. requires context, just like anything else. I mean, it's, it's I know, one thing. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, the person that had the place, he invested so much money that, you know, he, it hurt him personally, and he ended up that all the information that they had for five years, he just said, nobody's getting it. And and that the end of that, and I'll tell you there is a lot, a lot, a lot of recorded information, and the public will never ever get it. They'll never ever do it. But um, um yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Every so often you would see that you know there was a promotional uh, uh, tape that was done a while ago that that he, like it was going to come out as this big. Um, uh, well, on, on until, TV available for purchase. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, uh, until yeah. the yeah logistics and legal action took place on said person doing all the DNA testing, um, wanting all the videos and all the the stuff that concluded yeah. you know showed them how how the DNA was you know it was filmed it was gathered and said person wanted uh all that stuff to go with with this new you know subspecies that's being uh, uh discovered um i right. would say greed greed and it 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 uh, caused such a rift that it was decided that that said person can go and take a flying leap and he's keeping everything to himself. And he walked away. He walked away from it, but it's, it's, um, but he, he, he is not going to allow it to ever be put publicly ever. So it's too bad. Um, you know, he, yeah, that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah. But it, it was, it was, it was a turning point. It's just that somebody got too greedy and got stupid and, and it just uh, it just blew up, yeah. Yeah. And I often wondered about that until I went down there, and you know, yeah, I um, wow, yes. It's, uh, so it's I, just hum- out of curiosity, yeah. did did you see any of the creatures when you were in the area? With- no. Okay. No, that was a question I heard that somebody them. Asked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I didn't personally see them there. I've seen the areas. I've seen uh, a lot of footage. I've seen uh, the research. I I was with the people that did the research on it. 
I've been, I laid in the place where Matilda was videoed. I've walked to the place where the pancakes were given. I was asked to uh, call the the said uh, Sasquatches in the area because my voice and my looks was very, very similar to the girl that that took over for her mom. I, I so that was one of the things why I went there is because um, I may be able, be able to. Uh, reestablish them in that area because of the way I look and the way I sounded. So I was rehearsing the uh, the words and stuff that this woman would use and call and how she would talk to them and stuff like that. Yeah, and huh, a certain time yeah, of night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a cool story. I had never, I'd not ever heard that before. I I didn't no, realize because that I haven't been told to any. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> I didn't there help. you go. Uh, I've had a lot of experiences and a lot of, uh, you know, um, in like I said, put myself out there to to see what's, you know, right. what, what is going on. And I think Cliff Berkman does the same thing. He puts himself out there. He goes to the areas. He sees mm-hmm. what happens and before and after, and you get a really good perspective of what is actually happening out there. And I've made, like I said, I have a lot of good ties in in the Bigfoot world with a lot of very, 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 very credible people. And um, so for me, that is what I needed. I needed people that have been there, they've done it, they've seen it, they know that they're they're helping me with this hair. And and that was one of my jump off parts uh, uh, points is is just having all these people I've met in over the years and made friends with and and researched with and shared mm-hmm. information with that that was the whole ground uh, uh, layout for this pyramid I'm working on getting to the answer of Sasquatch. And your I mean from your personal uh, um, perspective. What uh, do you hope that they're? Do you see them being proven in our lifetime? I mean, are we going in the right direction? Or yes, yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, how do you I see do. that that happening? Um, I see that as is, you know, people are not. Um, the type of research that, say, um, OP has taken on, um, mm-hmm. we due diligence in the more more scientific world won't believe it unless we process it and put it in front of them in a way that they can understand it. Right now, we're just we're just blue collar workers going out there doing what they should have been doing. And they don't want to be nicknamed. They don't want to be, you know, lose their jobs. So we got nothing to lose. This is a great hobby for us. But we're out there. We're having this happen to us. We have seen this happen to us. And we are the ones that are going to eventually say, ta-da. We're the ones (laughs) that are going to finally open this whole basket. And um, I, I encourage a lot of people. I share my stories. I share all my knowledge with other people that that in in lieu of that you share with me so you can find the similarities like you know this happened i i know exactly what you're talking about because i know i was 
at a different spot and that happened. All that stuff is going to start making one big collective uh, uh, recipe book on 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 this hominid ancient people. Uh, I think they are a subspecies myself. They have characteristics of human. They have characteristics of primates, and they're and they're very wise to their surroundings to be able to survive. I mean, that's what we would do. You survive right. in your environment, whether you're in a city or out in the bush. You survive. You learn to. And some of them are, have learned to live on the outskirts of town to get food scraps, vegetable gardens, dogs, cats, and and apples from trees and stuff. They learn that. They live that. They're like semi-domesticated. And then you go out where you, you're out of reach of man. You have to only hike in there, and you're at a, a very obscure uh, place. Uh, that only one or two people have ever been there. Those are your. Those are the wild ones. Those are the ones that I find are the most aggressive, and but those are the ones that will answer you because you can fool them once. Where the domestic ones that's... you can't, and you know what I mean. So, um, and that's all the stuff that we're starting to to gather and and learn about. And and we've probably learned more about these the the Bigfoot and Sasquatch in the last ten fifteen years than I think a lot of people have in twenty or thirty years. It's because you got to get out there. You have to be out there to learn. And uh, and a lot of scientists will not leave their lab. So we're bringing the well, out there yeah. to here. <laughs> right, and the yeah the scientists. I mean they they have you know reasons to not. Uh, because of the way that the subject is perceived, and and in my opinion, the the Bigfoot community um, previously has not uh, approached science with the scientific evidence. That you know, anecdotal stories are never going to do it for for scientists. It, no, it's physical no. evidence. So that's yeah. where I I, I uh, have a huge appreciation for what you're doing. You're taking actual physical evidence and processing it and building a database yeah. of uh, that you could actually show somebody and say this is you know and they could yeah replicate exactly. what you're doing to see right. the results so right yeah so, exactly uh, so kudos to you and and folks if you're listening and you happen to have Bigfoot hair uh, Cindy is available to to look at uh, or you have hair that you don't know what it is that and better if you you had a Bigfoot sighting and pulled hair off of the Bigfoot. That'd be awesome. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can even that, get a kiss and a hug for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you can you can find yeah you can, you can find Cindy on Facebook. Her her uh, contact information is on her Cindy Dosen and it's D O S E N her Facebook page and uh, she processes and analyzes this hair at no charge to you. So um, it's an a incredible <laughs> opportunity if you, like say, what, what you're talking about is you, you know, um, it's. I always wonder how much Bigfoot evidence is out there in people's nooks and crannies, yeah. you know, in, in their yeah. boxes in their garage that Grandpa had. And, uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah. if you, if you, um, you know, you have family stuff that, uh, that, uh, Somebody found some hair, and and you want to have have an answer of uh, what it might be. Uh, get a contact Cindy. She she is uh, uh, a huge asset to the 
the Bigfoot research community, and uh, I've had the pleasure to know Cindy for for quite some time. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so everybody, I. It's, uh, Cindy, I want to thank you for joining us today on Monster X Radio. We we yeah. hope to uh, uh, see you out in the field shortly. I'm glad oh, that yeah. your uh, your knee is is re- almost recovered. So I know that you yeah. like uh, being out in the woods. I do. For, uh, <laughs> for for my my co-host Shane Corson and our guest. Cindy Dosen, and myself, Gunnar Monson. We want to thank you for listening to Monster X Radio, and we will be back next Sunday with another episode. And until then, have a great week and squatch on. Mm, awesome. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.